Hello and welcome to the Add a Zero Business Podcast. We've made it our mission to inform, educate and inspire a million business owners to add a zeros to their personal disposable income. So you can buy the home of your dreams, enjoy extensive exotic holidays with your family and fall back in love with your business by the lifestyle and freedom it now rewards you with. I'm Jay Allen, your host, and this is episode 11. So, you're a business owner dedicated to the significant and sustainable growth of both you and your business. Welcome to the Add a Zero podcast. In this episode, we'll determine that Rome wasn't built in a day, and so to build your empire, you're going to need a team. We'll cover the 10 things that you must do to recruit, retain and reward superheroes in your business and the seven steps to revise your recruitment process. We'll begin to understand the importance that culture and dynamics play in creating the right environment in which everyone thrives. Let's get started. You may think that building a team is all about other people. And yet the first thing I want to share with you today is that building a team starts with you. In every growing business, how to be a great boss will either make or break a company. If done well, it's one of the best growth opportunities within the business. However, done badly, it can interrupt growth, damage reputation and morale and derail the stability of the entire business. So before we get into talking about the dynamics of building a great team, I want to first share with you the 10 qualities of being a great boss in order to attract and build a great team. Number one, communicate a clear vision. Whilst there are many qualities of a good boss, Predominantly, employees go to work and want to make a difference and do a good job. Bosses who communicate a clear vision for the organisation helps to engage employees by making them understand why they do what they do. This can be exemplified even further by tying the business's vision to a highly emotive issue beyond the profits of the business and shareholder returns. How does your business make a difference not only for your employees and customers, but to the local community, the industry, the world? This gets employees involved and interested in helping the organisations to achieve its objectives and in turn satisfies them that they're also contributing to something of value to them beyond a paycheck. In 2015, the United Nations came together to determine the 17 global goals, the 17 largest problems facing the world right now. I wonder which one or ones that you're contributing towards, either locally, nationally or internationally, either directly or indirectly. I certainly know that when we introduce this to our business and start to demonstrate as to how our mission statement was having an impact, not on one, but on three or four of the UN global goals and how we're making a difference, 
how it immediately invigorated the teams to understand where our mission comes from and the impact it's going to have, not only on the people that we serve, but on the wider community. And it certainly helped us to be able to clarify and solidify our message and our mission and help people to understand the contribution that they're making to their community and wider afield as a direct result of being able to tie our mission statement into that of a contribution towards a bigger goal. Number two, so connect your vision to daily tasks. Great bosses demonstrate how employee tasks support what the organisation is trying to achieve. This is done by showing a clear line connection between what the employee does on a day-to-day basis and how it supports the mission of the organisation. As you're probably aware, and if you aren't already, then we have a YouTube channel where I regularly post videos also. And there's one particular called Why Smart Goals Simply Aren't. I firmly believe and subscribe to the Brendan Bouchard methodology of creating dumb goals as opposed to smart goals. And if you're not familiar with those, then I strongly recommend that you visit our YouTube channel or the website visit the blog's page and look for why SMART goals aren't. DUM is the acronym for dream-driven, uplifting, method-friendly and behaviour-driven. And if we can create some DUM goals that support employees to understand as to how their daily activity is contributing towards not only the mission and the business goals for the year, but also how that has a direct impact on their own personal goals and aspirations and that of how our business mission contributes to a bigger purpose. Then we're going to find a lot more engagement by the people and a desire to be able to help and understand the contribution. Number three, set clear performance expectations. There's much research that suggests that employees experience increased stress levels when they don't have a good understanding of what's expected of them. Therefore, setting clear performance expectations by providing each employee with a very specific description of what is required of them, that lays out all expected tasks and includes employee goals, a time frames to which they should be completed within, and identification as to who they should approach if and when they need assistance. An employee's line manager should discuss and clarify these expectations through regular one-to-one conversation. And as priorities change, continues to communicate updated expectations to provide the employee with an ongoing understanding of their role and job responsibilities and be open and willing to receive feedback from them which is reviewed, considered and reacted to where relevant. Number four, provide consistent feedback and coaching. Employees need regular feedback for how well they're meeting expectations. Help them to understand when they're doing a good job and communicate when they're not meeting requirements. This can be achieved by coaching employees on a regular basis. If you see something that they're not doing right, mention it. If you see something that needs to change, mention it as soon as you're aware of it. Often employees don't even realise when they're not meeting the requirements or your expectations. 
It's your responsibilities to coach and helps to develop them as people and as employees. As a boss, you have the responsibility of telling them when they're not adhering to service standards, but also responsible for working with them to understand and how they can improve to both meet and surpass those requirements. For example, if you were to hear of an employee being rude to a customer on the phone, well, you need to point it out to them and coach them on a better way to communicate with customers. If this doesn't happen, the customer experience is affected and the employee may not even be aware that their mannerism is inappropriate. It doesn't meet the company culture and values. Number five, care about your employee as a person and not just as an employee. Employees want to feel like they're cared for on a personal level. A great boss will take time to ask about an employee's life outside of work and be willing to acknowledge and consider this in the expectations of them. Employees feel valued when the boss shows an interest in their hobbies, family or other interests. If you want to see any employee light up, just start asking them about the kids. One brief example I'm happy to share with you was with a previous employee I had who worked as an office manager. She was also a key holder and was responsible for unlocking the building first thing in the morning. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday and Friday the building was always open, lit, warm and the coffee was on before anybody else arrived. Yet on Thursdays most of the staff were often waiting around in the car park for her to arrive. Now this went on for some weeks before I began to receive complaints from other members of staff and therefore needed to understand what had happened and why. She explained, well we only have one car you see and most days my husband gives me a lift on his way to work but Thursdays is his day off and I like to let him have a lay in but I have to catch two buses in order to be able to get here. And I'd either arrive an hour and 15 minutes late or a few minutes before start time. I hope it's not a problem. Immediately in that one sentence, everything made sense. And the answer became clear. Over the next few months, we paid for her to receive driving lessons during her normal working hours. And we paid for a driving test. Just a few weeks later, she was able to drive herself to work on a Thursday and nip to do a bit of shopping on the way home as she gladly advised us all. For the sake of a few hundred pounds, I'd fixed the Thursday morning issue, but I'd also bought an exceptional amount of loyalty and goodwill by not just providing the driving lessons, but as she explained, giving her the freedom to come and go as she pleased. Look for opportunities where you can add massive values to every employee's life as opposed to simply their salary and paycheck and see it pay off a thousand times over. Number six, share personal experiences. Bosses who share personal experiences demonstrate their own vulnerabilities and help employees appreciate the human side of them as a boss. When a supervisor shares real-life struggles and how they process the issue of life, it's not only humanising the relationship, but it can also serve as a life mentor for employees. 
For example, I recently had a conflict with a neighbour and I was able to share with employees as to what had happened and how I was able to resolve the conflict. It provided an additional coaching opportunity to demonstrate to others how we overcome conflict. It also gives employees a lens into the personal life of their boss, whilst not becoming so vulnerable that it could otherwise be used as leverage. Remember, as Tom Hanks states within the film Saving Private Ryan, there's a chain of command. Gripes go up, not down. Always up. You griped to me, I griped to my superior officer, and so on and so on. So be considered when sharing your own vulnerabilities. Number seven, make work fun. I recall having a boss tell me once, if you're not having fun at work, you're in the wrong job. Now at the time, I didn't really understand what he meant. But since, it makes so much more sense to me now. Whether you're working a line in a factory, greeting guests at the reception area or flipping burgers, every work environment has the opportunity to be fun and productive place to work. Incorporating fun activities and events or organising playtime for employees gives them something to look forward to. And by creating an environment people want to be within, they enjoy their time there. And according to statistics, are 12% more productive. Things as simple as Dress Down Friday or a lunchtime video game challenge can not only be fun, but it also creates another team-building exercise. Number eight, foster team development. Diverse personalities and varying frames of reference can make team interactions difficult at the best of times. Great bosses have a good team leader skills that foster team development. A good boss knows how to gather the troops and get them to head in unity in the same direction. The most recent studies looking at the millennial impact on employment found that a workforce with more than three decades of different age groups is by some margin more productive than those where all employees are of the same or similar age. Number nine, value employees' perspective. Employees do the work of the organisation and great bosses care about what employees think and proactively solicit employee feedback. They understand that employees often have the answers to many of the operational problems. And why wouldn't they? Whilst you're navigating the ship, they're in the engine room tending the pumps. So when asked, employees feel valued for being able to contribute their thoughts and opinions to the business and the success of it. Within our business, we reward good ideas as much as we do good actions. And it goes down exceptionally well, both by the individual and the rest of the staff. Number 10. Reward good performance. Again, employees go to work with the intention of doing a good job and should be rewarded for meeting and exceeding job requirements. When employees have a good understanding of what's expected of them, given the tools and trainings to do their job 
and are rewarded for doing a good job, they become engaged with the organisation and committed to helping it to achieve its objectives. We all go to work with the intent of doing a good job, but it's the boss that sometimes gets in the way of them performing well. When bosses communicate where the organisation is going, explain how what the employees does contributes to what we're trying to accomplish, and allows employees to participate in organisational problem solving, they create an environment where employees are proud and enjoying what they do and contribute more. I think it's really appropriate to be able to share with you an example of exactly how this can have such a profound impact on both you and your team before we turn the tables and start looking at how to recruit and retain and reward the superheroes that are going to be able to help supersize and scale your business. I recall a time whilst I was still within the military and I joined a new regiment. I met my commanding officer, a lieutenant colonel, and it was immediately apparent he wasn't the same as other commanding officers I'd served. He was different, and that difference resonated throughout the entire regiment. Despite how big the regiment was, he knew your name, and not just your surname, which was emblazoned across your jacket, but your first or your nickname. By the time I left, there were over 600 people in that regiment. If you were married, he'd most likely know your partner's name. And if you had children, he recalled that you had kids, whether they were male or female, although he probably couldn't remember all of the names. But a lot more than that, he knew you as a person, as opposed to just the role that you took. He knew how to get the best out of you how to inspire you to care more, do more, achieve more. He inspired you to turn up early, stay late, become a team that would literally live and die together. And it didn't go unnoticed. Shortly after I left the service, I learned of his promotion. And promotion. And promotion. By the time he retired... He was a three-star general and deputy chief of the general staff, one of the most senior positions in the armed forces. As business owners, we can all become so entrenched in growing the business that we sometimes forget that our greatest responsibility is to grow and coach and support our staff. Remember, the greatest investment every business owner can ever make is in the recruitment retention and reward of its people. So now we've looked at the skills and attributes that you need to be able to demonstrate, let's turn our attentions to how to recruit and retain and reward those superheroes. Let me share with you a seven-step process that we use in every single recruitment that perhaps challenges how you've recruited previously and the importance of being able to utilise this and the impact it has on the people that you take on. To most people, the recruitment process may appear rather obvious. That is, until you become the person responsible for it. And automatically it starts to become quite daunting. The good news is that Give or take, nearly every recruitment drive can be broken down into seven steps. 
some of which you'll be familiar with already, but others perhaps you won't. So let's quickly run through those and determine as to why I believe that these are most relevant to you. First of all, it's about profiling the position. The key to getting what you want is knowing what you're looking for. That's where good planning comes in. Now, we already know that you're stretched. Most likely you're already spinning a number of plates. But getting this first step right will make the rest of the recruitment process easier and faster and a lot less costly. Not to mention more geared towards finding the superhero your business actually needs and desires. And for that, I invite you to do a day in the life. I want you to spend one full day recording honestly and accurately every action that you have in the business. Now, don't get me wrong, this could prove to be the most ineffective day in your business thus far. And yet, it's crucial to being able to find the right person. You see, once you've recorded that one full day in every single action, both honestly and accurately, you can review and determine how many of these things do I currently do, which in my future, more successful and growing sustained business, do I still want to be doing? I almost guarantee as a business owner, there are a multitude of things that you're currently doing that you simply shouldn't be doing. There ought to be other people in the business or acts or roles or responsibilities that you've already passed on to other people and yet you've retained for some reason which are keeping you away from doing the things that as a business owner you really ought to be doing about growing the business and coaching the staff to support them to become better at who they are and what they do. So once you've got that that day in the life, I want you to go back through the list and highlight all of the things on there that you still want to be doing in 12 or 24 months time. And I want you to be honest. I want you to look at every single act on that list and determine, is that still something that I want to be involved with on a day-to-day basis in 12 or 24, 36 months time? Or is it something that I could get somebody else to do, or I want somebody else to be able to do in the future. This is key to identifying the skills and responsibilities of the person or persons that we're looking for as part of the recruitment drive. And it's only once you've determined the things that you are currently doing that you really shouldn't be doing that we can identify. So who else within the business could be or should be or will be doing those things in the future Or, what are the skills and attributes of somebody that we're looking to take on to be able to assist by removing some of those things from me? Profiling the position starts with what are the things that you expect them to be done and who then best is to be doing them. Now we can move to preparing the job description and a personal specification. The role you're recruiting for and the type of candidate needed to fill it. They'll be one of the first things job seekers read when they find your job vacancy. Attracting the right applicant is largely about getting the two documents right, so it's worthwhile spending some time on. If you want to recruit a superhero, 
we first have to ensure that our business is capable of recruiting a superhero and it's where superheroes want to hang out. So getting the description right about the culture and the vision and the values and the mission of the business is as important as being able to attract the right peoples to the role and to embellish that culture as opposed to someone that's going to come on and they might have the right qualification and experience but a bad apple in the team that you've already started to build. Choose where to hunt for your candidates well. In the age of information, there are literally thousands of places to promote your job vacancy. And if you are going to take a DIY approach for your recruitment, you certainly won't struggle to find job sites that will be happy to promote your vacancy to thousands of job seekers. But perhaps the first things to ask yourself is whether the best person for the job is already right under your nose. Internal hiring has some great benefits. It motivates staff, it can save a lot of money, and the successful candidate would already be au fait with the company culture. You won't have to explain where the, how the printer works or how the coffee machine operates. So is the talent that you've already got capable or willing or ready to be able to accelerate from where they currently are into a new role of responsibility? Could it be that we are simply looking to replace an existing member of staff as they accelerate and are promoted as opposed to continually looking external to the business where perhaps people within the business feel that they may have been overlooked? Now, once you've started to receive applicants, if we've got the letter right and the description right, we should receive many. Good candidates should quickly and clearly highlight how their experience aligns with the available role. So revisit your job description and personal specification for a reminder of what you're looking for and don't feel bad about scan reading applications. The onus is on the applicants to prove their suitability as quickly as possible. And trust me, after reading 100 CVs, you'll be able to spot the standout candidate a mile off. So take a deep breath, allocate a set amount of time and dive in. When we do get to conducting interviews, the Marmite step of the recruitment process. Whether you love them or hate them, interviews cannot be sidestepped. It gives you an invaluable contact time with the candidate, allowing you to deep dive into each applicant's professional background and to see how well they may be suited, not only to the vacancy, but to the culture and vision and values within your business. Avoid the needlessly confusing curveball questions and look instead to find out as much about each interviewee's experience as you can. Your time together will go fast. You don't want to be left wondering as to a question that posed later and forgot to be asked. Now, checking references, drawing up a contract and then subsequently offering the job. Once you've shortlisted your top candidates, it's time to check the references. So many employers miss this recruitment step but it's essential to check your candidates' backgrounds to help make sure that everything that they claim to be is actually the right things to be. 
Hiring the wrong person can be eye-wateringly costly, not only in money and time, but brand experience and the risk of damaging the culture of your existing team. If everything is in order, you'll need to draw up a contract of employment. You'll most likely have a template that can be adopted to the salary, number of holiday days, working conditions and responsibilities. But if not, a well-written contract of employment is worth as much as the salary. Get it right and everyone's happy. Get it wrong and it could cost you dearly again and again and again. However, the next step is perhaps the most important. How you handle the onboarding process of a new member of staff is key to their loyalty and capability and willingness to be able to contribute to you and your team. I firmly believe that the first 100 days has a direct correlation with the length of time they are likely to stay with the organisation and their loyalty and productivity to it. Let me explain. From the moment that you offer and that they accept employment has moved from phase one to simply phase two of the recruitment process. And what you do over the next three and a half months will determine as to whether they feel that this is a job or a career. And therefore it's crucial that just because you've offered employment that the recruitment process doesn't stop there. It's actually moving from phase one to phase two. And what you do from that point on in terms of helping them to understand how to embed within the business, creating introductions to the rest of the team and helping them understand as to why the role was created or if they've replaced somebody else, where that, that person was in the process and what work they're going to be picking up on. Understanding the systems and processes and other people's responsibilities within the team and helping them to become embedded within the team is just as crucial, if not more so now, than the actual productivity of what they go on to deliver. Helping them to achieve is just as important as not allowing them to fail. And as an employer, you're responsible for being able to help them to become embedded and understand the contribution that they're being expected to make and how that impacts the culture and vision and values and mission of the business. I've got a few top tips that I want to share with you before we finally start to wrap up and share with you a quick list. My True North Top Tip First of all, don't assume that you have to pay top whack for a great person. Some of the top people in the industry are not driven by money anymore, but by the opportunities to make a difference. Don't assume that you always have to have a position available immediately to run a recruitment campaign. There are superheroes out there right now who could generate thousands of pounds every month for your business if they knew about you and your business. Don't also assume that you have to have 10, 15, 20, 30, 40,000 pound in the bank to cover a salary. Recruiting a new person should be a four to six week decision, not a six to nine or 12 month decision. If they're good, you'll sense that quickly. And as a small business owner, it's imperative you learn to hire slowly and potentially fire fast 
if it's wrong fit. And finally, don't assume that you can attract superheroes to a standard, traditional, mediocre business. Superheroes live on a special diet of fun and enjoyment and challenges and deadlines and rewards. Make sure you have those available in order to attract, recruit and feed a superhero. Before I close, I want to quickly share with you one surprising fact. In 2017, a study was done by quite a prestigious university looking at why 17,000 employees from across the world had voted their place to work as the best place to work in the world. There's a study done every year to determine as to where is the best place in the world to work. And as you can imagine, places like Facebook and Google and Coca-Cola are on the list almost every year. But this study, done in 2017, begins to interview thousands of employees within those places of work to get a better understanding as to why they'd voted where they worked as the best place in the world to work. And the list offered the top 11 reasons in order of priority as to how frequently the employees had voted for this as the reason. And why I say it's the top 11 reasons is that it was the 11th top reason. There were 10 other things more important that were voted for more frequently than the 11th. And the 11th said, because they pay a good salary. There are 10 other things that are far more important to employees than their salary. And as long as we have those 10 in place, the salary ceases to be that important. It's about being able to build the right culture, have the right mission statement that invigorates an emotive response from people and helps them understand how their contribution makes a contribution not only to their own salary and their own opportunity of a career, but of the wider world in general. I hope that helps. I look forward to being able to learn about how you've implemented this within your business and the impact it makes. All as part of our missions to be able to help a million people to add a zero to their personal disposable income. That's all for this episode. As always, we really thank you for listening and welcome your comments, thoughts, and suggestions. So please do drop us a line by emailing podcast at mytruenorth.biz. And don't forget, if you haven't already done so, hit the subscribe button on whichever platform you're listening to this through and tell your colleagues and business network all about who we are. You've been listening to the Add a Zero podcast presented by Jay Allen, brought to you in association with My True North, the UK's leading ethical coaching company. 